And what's so relevant now is it feels like a race. It feels like the race between variant-driven surging like we're seeing in Michigan and how fast can we get vaccine in arms. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa DiDonato. And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. This week on Amplify Nursing, we welcome the return of Dr. Allison Buttenheim, a public health researcher and behavioral epidemiologist Dr. Buttenheim is an associate professor of nursing at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing and assistant professor of health policy at the Perlman School of Medicine. Today, we talk to Dr. Buttenheim about the current and evolving state of the coronavirus in the U.S. and across the globe. She shares her insight into vaccine rollout, her coronavirus education project, Dear Pandemic, and her thoughts on the new normal. Hello, Allison. How are you? I'm doing great, Marianne. Thanks so much for having me back on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I'm actually really sorry that we have to have you back. We (laughs) are about a year over when you were on last. I cannot believe that. I can't believe it either. It's been both a really fast year and a really slow year. Time is weird now. So let's just have you, it has been a year since you were on, talk us through what this year was like, both in general for the country with COVID and the pandemic, but also for you as an epidemiologist sort of watching this all play out. I'm guessing that my look back over the year is going to be really biased and inaccurate, but let me tell you what I think <laughs> happened. Um, in in retrospect, in reflection, I imagine that we had these phases that were kind of well delineated, and maybe that's not true at all about what was going on in real time. But when I look back, I feel like, you know, March and April was this um, like boot camp. Like, you know, we sort of suddenly went into, you know, lockdown or stay at home. Um, Everything was very different. Everything was very urgent. And we very rapidly had to get used to this new normal. And we were obsessively watching case numbers. And we were all learning a lot of new terminology um, and, and new sociality and like Zooming. And then I think in the U.S., the summer was about accommodating and adjusting to a new reality especially once it became clear that like the academic year would not be quote unquote normal. So I think it was getting used to the fact like, oh, like college kids aren't going to have a regular year. School kids aren't going to have a regular year. Parents of school kids aren't going to have a regular year. And then towards the end of the summer, you know, things were looking pretty good. Like we had, I think heading into the school year, we were at a kind of a local low and the question was like, how long does this last and what do we have to keep doing? And then in my mind, I zoom ahead to the crazy in November to January peak that was terrifying. Um, 
and in terrifying in part because expected, like we sort of watched it happen, like right after Thanksgiving, we're like, whoa, here we go. Um, and not knowing how steep the curve down the slide down the other side would be. And then the optimism of vaccine, you know, election, <laughs> vaccines are coming, vaccines are here, vaccines are here for a few people. Yes, we're sliding down quite fast from that curve. And then I, in my mind, I zoom ahead to this current, like new, maybe there's a fourth surge coming. And what fe what's so relevant now is it feels like a race. It feels like the race between variant-driven surging like we're seeing in Michigan and how fast can we get vaccine in arms? Let's talk about the variants and the race with the vaccine. Can you talk a little bit about what is concerning you with those different variants and where you think we're at in that race? Good question. Um, so I think one of the scary things about the variants are all the unknowns. Another scary thing is that we are completely fatigued with having to do mitigation strategies. So if an you know excessive or higher you know rate of transmissibility or maybe transmissibility that more affects kids more than than we were seeing prior, if all that means more staying at home, more masking, more distancing, you know, less travel, less getting together. I don't think there's appetite for that in the US. So that's sort of scary. The other thing we don't know is how well our amazing vaccines are going to do against these variants. Uh, we know we're just beginning to have some, some data on that, mostly from other countries. So the you know, watching the Michigan numbers is pretty scary right now. If you look at the map, you know, that whole thumb area of Michigan is just dark, dark red on the New York Times. If that happens in other parts of the country, um, you know, we will, we will have kind of lost the race. Like we won't have gotten vaccine in arms fast enough to prevent that, that surge. So what could we do then to prevent us losing the race? You talk about people not having the appetite for continuing to stay home, wear masks, socially distance, et cetera. What are the other options? Well, there's two, at least. There's really figure out how to crack the vaccine rollout nut, which some places are doing great. There's just a huge variation we're at an interesting point where we've been under such supply constraints. You know, it's been hard to find appointments, hard to find doses in many parts of the country. You know, only like this month will most people be, be eligible, but that's going to shift in the next few weeks to demand being the constraint. We're actually going to have to start hunting for willing arms and start confronting the fact that they're going to be big chunks of the population that are just saying no thanks or not yet. And where that happens in high numbers, we're going to still be vulnerable to transmission. Um, so one option is to like figure that out fast. <laughs> the other option, unfortunately, is just to, you know, prepare for another surge and like have people's summer plans go down the toilet and start worrying about whether we can even really have a good, you know, back to school time, which is really depressing to contemplate. So that's interesting timing because obviously summer is coming, right? And everybody's starting to talk about summer trips and sending kids to summer camps and I even just got an email from the Philadelphia School District saying they want to try and bring more kids back in May. Great. So, so what do we do as like 
as parents, as individuals, do we continue to move forward as if the vaccine will be able to get into more arms or do we still move slowly towards the future? There's so much cognitive dissonance around this because we get these optimistic emails, you know, from the school district and we make plans for the summer. And if you've, you know, had the good fortune to be vaccinated, you know, you start getting together in small groups of people and give some new hugs. At the same time, if you look at the numbers, for example, here in Philadelphia, you know, we're close to the level of transmission we were seeing at some of the scarier times last spring. We're not at the November to January levels, but we're, you know, unfortunately headed in, maybe headed in that direction, certainly cases headed back up. And that is really hard news to like process at the same time. And so I think what most people are doing is just (laughs) leaning into the optimistic news and also just adjusting, right? Like deciding that even if community transmission is a little bit higher. And even if vaccination rates aren't quite as high as we'd like them to be yet, like we've just got to get back to normal life, especially, you know, especially for kids, like kids have to get back to school. We have to be able to do some traveling and seeing family this summer. So I I think what a high level of community transmission means to people has changed. Like we're just, we're, we're better able to cognitively accommodate you know, what looked like scary high numbers a few months ago. So I'm definitely on the conservative side of all this, staying home, masking, quarantining, want to protect my kid more than I want her to do anything else. So my family's getting sick of me, I'm sure. What are you doing? Like, are you vaccinated? And if you're vaccinated, is the rest of your family vaccinated? And what are you doing? What are you telling people who are vaccinated that it's safe to do versus people who aren't vaccinated? That is such a good question. So let me go sort of backwards through your questions. So I am vaccinated. I was um, deployed with the Medical Reserve Corps in Philadelphia at some vaccine clinics. So I had my first dose in early February and my second dose in early March. Um, I would say that was sort of on the early side of of, uh, many of my peers, um, except for all my healthcare worker friends. My husband gets his first dose tomorrow. Um, He's now eligible as a 1C Philadelphia person. I have a college-age kid in who was newly eligible as of April 1st and got her first dose about a week ago, having to drive 25 miles to get it. And I have an 18-year-old, almost 19-year-old, who is doing a gap year between high school and college because she wasn't interested in a weird COVID freshman year in college. And I am already kind of surfing the vaccine spotter, vaccine finder websites, looking for a dose for her. I was going to say as soon as she's eligible, but nobody else seems to be paying attention to eligibility anymore. So everyone's like, just get her an appointment as soon as you can. I think I'm doing what a lot of other people are, which is, you know, creeping back into the water, right? Sort of putting, sticking a toe in the water. I got together with um, three friends the other night. We're all vaccinated. We were outdoors. We did the kind of thing where we looked at each other and like, is it okay to hug? And because I do a lot of stuff, you know, because I do a lot of COVID stuff and a lot of pandemic stuff, everyone kind of looked at me and I was like, okay, we're all vaccinated. Like, yes, we can hug. Um, And we were rusty. Like our social skills were rusty. Our being in person skills were rusty. So, you know, doing more of that, 
Can I ask, were you yeah. masked or unmasked? We, we all arrived masked. We all sat down masked as the outdoor beer garden required. And then I, like, I took off my mask and everyone else did too, because they <laughs> looked at me and that seemed to be the norm. I will say at this outdoor beer garden, um, as most outdoor, outdoor dining seems to be right. People kind of sit down and once, you know, the, the, once you're seated, you can take the mask off. And in my mind, that calculation had to do with, you know, our being our, everyone at the table being, being fully vaccinated. But I've also been at some outdoor dining experiences with like, my husband is not vaccinated and another couple who's maybe partially vaccinated. And we still, you know, kind of sit down and take the masks off. So, but I wouldn't do that indoors. Like that would feel risky and weird indoors. So, so that's actually, if you don't mind, uh, can I ask a question about yeah. that? Cause the CDC has said you can be indoors with other vaccinated people or one sort of family of non-vaccinated right. people without masks. How do you feel about that? So one way I feel about it is that it's very cognitively taxing to kind of figure out that math. And you also have to know other people's vaccination status. So I've, I'm dealing with that by just like not doing indoor stuff with non-family members. Um, you know, people can like walk through my house to get to my backyard and we can hang out there and have coffee. Um, but to me that like, okay, there's one other person and that one person is unvaccinated, but they have other unvaccinated, like that's too hard for me to do the math on. So that said, I make the weird, like not logical family member exception. So, you know, we, my, my daughter's gone around to some other places in New England for some gap year stints. And sometimes I drop her off at my sister's house in Northampton and like, nobody there is vaccinated, but it's like my family. So <laughs> it's okay. Like even, you know, I should know better. And I still do that. Like, well, they're not really going anywhere and we're not really going anywhere and their family. So, so it's safe. So yeah, no, I think everyone is just trying to kind of do their best. And everyone's, everyone's tolerance is really different. Like, it sounds like you're one of the folks who's like, you know, I'm really sticking with the rules. There are no exceptions. I'm not fault. I'm not, you know, being susceptible to the like family's okay because they're family. And some people have been like doing crazy stuff since October. So that makes it hard too, right? It's another social challenge to navigate that everyone's kind of operating on a slightly different playbook. Yeah, it really does. And I think that's probably partly what, I mean, at least from my view, why it's been so hard for everybody to sort of come to one conclusion of what to do or what not to do. Because I think the guidelines have changed, but then everybody's sort of just doing their own thing. Everybody is doing their own thing. And everyone will continue to, you know, differentially assess their risk, apply rules, apply guidance over the summer where there's just going to be more, you know, more movement, more. Um, I think people are just desperate to have a normal kind of summer holiday. And last summer, I think more people were spooked a little bit more adherent to the guidelines. We knew so much less, so much less about transmission. We didn't have vaccines, blah, blah, blah. I think this summer, the need to um, kind of move about as normal is going to be, is going to be big and it's going to kind of overwhelm precautions and, and mitigation that we still need to be doing. So let's talk about that a little, because like you said at the beginning, like students, kids, they need to get back to some semblance of normal. So 
summer camps. If kids aren't vaccinated yet, how are you feeling about saying, you know, kids can go to summer camps? Are we expecting counselors to be vaccinated? Is it okay if counselors aren't vaccinated? What are, any thoughts on that? So if I had like a kid under 12, I would feel safer, I think, with a sleepaway camp that had successfully pulled off a season last summer, which is a high bar, I realize, because many, many didn't. But they had figured out, you know, the arrival routines, the testing routines. Um, and I absolutely would want to at least know what the overall vaccination coverage was of the staff. And I would uh, be very pleased if that were a requirement for staff. And, you know, I've, my kids are looking for camp counselor jobs. I've seen camp counselor job listings for the summer that are very clear that once you're on at the camp, like you don't leave on your night off to go into town. You know, there's just, there's still sort of the bubble, the cohort um, idea. Now, if they adjust that for vaccination, I don't know. You know, day camp, I would want to pay a little bit more attention to community transmission. So what's going on in the city around the camp? It would still be great if I knew that all or most counselors were vaccinated. Um, I'd prefer, obviously, more outdoor time, more distance time. I would definitely assume, you know, most people would be masked most of the time, depending on the activities, if not all the time. If all that were in place and my kid was a soccer kid or a, you know, Dungeons and Dragons kid and there was a camp for that, I would, I would really want to figure out how to make that happen. Then what do you think about summer travel? Are you planning any trips away? I know the CDC has now loosened travel restrictions for people with the vaccine. Right. You, and you've even mentioned that it's probably going to be a very high travel summer season because of the last year that we've all had. Thoughts? Right. There's pent up demand. Yep. Um, so, so I don't know what my own travel plans will be. Um, my, my husband is very keen to get out to California to see his almost 80 year old mom, whom he hasn't seen in a year and a half he will be fully vaccinated. You know, I think we're thinking about sort of budget, not financial budget, but like exposure budget, you know, adding to the <laughs> adding to the travel density budget. So he he definitely gets one trip to California. We will do some trips similar to last summer that are just a car ride away in New England at a house with like one other family. They'll all be fully vaccinated. You know, my, my parents have a house up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. They've been vaccinated. We'll, you know, we'll do a sort of camp, camp grandma there. But really my thoughts are around my gap year kid who's had several different program opportunities, you know, canceled or postponed and is trying to put together some semblance of a couple things she was hoping to do. I know this is a very first world problem, but like hoping to go to Ireland for something, possibly going to Iceland for something. So my like travel stress allocation, is this safe? Is this risky? Has all been around like, can we get her to Ireland? Can we get her to Iceland? So then that brings up my next sort of question slash concern. We're doing relatively well in the U.S. now with starting to get people vaccinated. I think I last saw like, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, it's like 20% of the population who's eligible is vaccinated at this point. Has at least one dose. Yeah. I don't Has think our second dose coverage is that high yet. Our fully okay. vaccinated, but yeah. And then thinking about 
you know, we're not the only people in the world, right? We're sure like, not. Brazil is having quite the outbreak right now. Germany's still having high numbers of cases. How does that affect what we're doing here? Well, I'm a global health researcher. So one part of my brain goes to assessing how we're doing by how much vaccine we're getting into the global supply. And, you know, I've kudos to the Biden administration. This rollout has been like pretty good. It hasn't been flawless. You know, we are getting supply out. I would like us to be sending more doses um, overseas, participating in the COVAX facility um, than we are now. I think the approach is going to be wait until we've got excess supply here and then start allocating it. So that's, you know, that's one that's one thing I wish were, were happening a little differently. But there's also this, you know, none of us is safe until all of us is safe challenge that if it, it doesn't really help us to be at 70% or 80% covered by the vaccine, if the vast majority of the rest of the world isn't anywhere close, it, it just means that the virus is still circulating. You could argue that there are, you know, dynamics where actually, you know, variants are going to be more able to take hold and spread in this kind of partially vaccinated setup. You know, kudos to us for getting getting where we are, but let's make sure that the eyes are on the prize of getting the whole world vaccinated. I'd love to stress this point again. So even if we reach 70 or 80 percent vaccination rate, which is technically considered herd immunity, correct? Mm-hmm. And can you explain, as as to, know. <laughs> explain to our, our listeners what herd immunity means? Sure. Herd immunity is a really important concept and it's a little tricky to explain, but it is the protection that is offered everybody when enough people are immune to a disease, either through vaccination or through prior illness, if the illness confers immunity, such that a new case, a new instance of the disease in the population can't spread because that person doesn't bump into any other susceptible people. It doesn't mean your individual risk is any lower if you do bump into somebody who's sick. It's not an individual protection, but it's just the protection that that inheres when you're less likely to bump into that sick person. And every disease has a different threshold because different diseases are differently infectious. Like measles, it's super easy to give measles to other people. So we need a really high proportion of the population vaccinated, like 95%, um, because it's really easy for that one sick person to infect other people. It's looking like, again, we don't have a ton of data, but for SARS-CoV-2, it's looking like 70 to 80% will be, you know, about right. And it looks like people who've been sick already have some amount of protection. So you can add up the vaccinated people, plus the people who ha- were, were, were sick. Um, and hopefully that gets us to 70 or 80%. And hopefully that's enough to interrupt transmission, get that magic R not that reproduction number below one so that each sick person is getting less than one additional sick person sick. So even if we reach herd immunity here in the U.S. and say none of the other countries are even close to that at this point, does that matter? It matters. Um, it matters because we're a super global society, and uh, you know we we're not like New Zealand that or Iceland that can really strictly 
monitor borders, require, uh, you know, government hotel enforced isolation and, and quarantine testing regimes. We have, you know, we have pretty porous borders and we rely economically and socially on movement of goods and, and services and people between countries. So if, if we get to 80%, you know, coverage, but we really want to keep disease out, you know, we're not going to be able to let people in from other countries. And we're going to be very, very strict about letting US people go to other countries and return without, I think, cumbersome testing, vaccine passports, you know, isolation that I think, again, people's patience is going to erode really, really quickly for. So we don't, you know, people aren't going to want to be told you can't go to Canada, you can't go to Europe, you can't, you know, I do research in sub-Saharan Africa, I haven't been there since last January, it's like, driving me crazy. If the US continues to tell me like, sorry, you can't go to South Africa, they're not vaccinated. You know, that's gonna, that's gonna affect my my work, many families are going to be disrupted, people's, you know, travel interests and study interests are going to be impacted. So um, there's a huge cost, there's a huge cost of all types to uh, the rest of the world not not being vaccinated. And I guess that's why it's so important then for the US to not only worry about vaccinating, our own population, but then sharing vaccinations with others. 100%. And, you know, that wasn't really um, on the agenda for the Trump administration. There's this international facility called COVAX, where, um, you know, countries that have access to vaccine doses can make those doses available um, to other countries. And we weren't going to participate. Now we are. But it, it is a sort of like when we're done, you can have <laughs> you can have, you know, some not leftovers, but, you know, we can start allocating supply to COVAX once we're all set here. All set is a funny term, right? Because I just saw this afternoon that there now might be need for a third COVID vaccine shot. Right. So again, wouldn't it be great if we could look into our crystal ball and see how this works out three to five years down the line? Um, I think the virologists and the immunologists and the vaccinologists have all been really eager to figure out whether this is one and done or two doses and done or become something like annual flu vaccine, right? So we could do a second booster. You know, this could be where Moderna and Pfizer is a three dose regimen and then you're done. Or as the variants evolve, as we sort of learn more about longer term immunity, whether they're sterilizing immunity, it may just be that a new coronavirus vaccine is developed each year, like a new flu vaccine is developed each year, and you get both. Um, or it may be like, you know, your DTaP, your tetanus, pertussis, and diphtheria shot where you need a booster um, a couple more times. You know, you get your your baby shots and then an adolescent shot and then an adult shot, or you get a booster every five years. Like there'll probably be some schedule where you're never quite done with your with your COVID vaccine. So that brings me to my final question. What what does the future hold? Knowing what you know now and what we've all lived through this past year, where do you see us going in the next three months, six months, year. Are we still going to be doing this the way we're doing this a year from now? Are we going to have to have you back on the podcast in a year? I think we have all hoped and some people have imagined since last March that there would be a moment when the bells would ring and we would all rush out in the street and throw our masks in a bonfire and smooch someone we didn't know. There isn't going to be the day 
that we declare this over. There isn't even going to be like that wonderful day you hear about in the 50s when the polio vaccine was approved and, and people really did just kind of church bells rang and people rejoiced because they, at least they imagined, and it turned out to be true that like we would very quickly, um, you know, eliminate that disease. I think, you know, I think we're going to be masking for a really long time. And that's potentially a really good thing. Like we basically squashed flu this year. Like there wasn't a flu season. That's amazing. If we can, you know, learn the routines for, you know, when it makes sense, when we're actually reducing risk for lots of things by masking, and that becomes part of our culture the way it is in many Asian cultures, that's great. So I think, I think masking will continue. I think, you know, testing will evolve. I, I do imagine in a year, if there is still some hopefully low level of community transmission that you will be able to walk into CVS or Walgreens or Rite Aid and grab a $5 rapid test and know in three minutes from a saliva swipe that whether you're positive or not. And that will like, that will really help, you know, to be able to do that kind of rapid testing. There's also the question of, you know, what changes in our society that COVID has brought are permanent. You know, a lot of us talk about being like different people, than we were a year ago. And, and some things like not wanting to go back to, to pre-COVID times in some dimensions, like conference travel for academics or, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of like new ways of being that, that we might want to hold on to. And that's weird. You know, this, it's been about a year. I, I think we're going to have to like call this next period something different. Actually, one of my Dear Pandemic co-founders, Malia Jones, has a, has a really neat term for this, which I won't reveal because I think she has an op-ed coming out in the Washington Post describing it. But like, we do kind of need a name and a handle for this next phase because the, the questions are going to be different. The challenges are going to be different. Um, it's not like this is going to be a two-year thing. I think like this year, March to March will have been one phase. And now we're going to kind of move into to something else. Again, that's going to be taxing cognitive, like people are drained, people are fried at the same time as they're like, I don't really know if I want to go back to like having happy hours every Friday, like that didn't really work for me either. So there's, there's just a lot more, um, more and different kind of struggle to get through. In terms of kids, you know, I have two college age kids. A year ago, I was like, take the year off or take a gap year. There's no way 2020, 2021 as an academic year is going to be like anything normal or fun. But I did kind of assume that by fall 2021, things would be totally normal. And, you know, it's going to be new normal. Um, I think we're still going to pay attention to like trying to space things and really paying attention to ventilation and, you know, hand hygiene to the extent that's helpful for COVID. It's probably more helpful for other stuff. But if you peer into a classroom in September, 2021, it's going to look like they're going to be kids there, which is great. I think, you know, I think most kids who, whose parents want them to be back in school in person in the fall will be, but it will not look like September, 2019. Um, and if, that, if, if that's the benchmark, then I think people will be disappointed, but um, we will have learned a ton and we will have vaccinated a ton of people, hopefully the 12 and ups by September and the little kids maybe soon thereafter. Um, so that's all good news, but there's no, there's no post COVID world. How does that make you feel? I mean, tired, like we all are. I'm someone, you know, as, as you are, who like a lot of our, 
research and a lot of our work turned like pivoted to COVID. So, you know, and I was sort of hoping for like some bell to ring where I could like put that down and get back to my, <laughs> get back to my regular work. So, you know, it's, I think, I think we have to just be deliberate in, you know, again, naming these phases, um, being kind of compassionate with ourselves, um, having humility about what we can and can't do. And also hopefully some, some curiosity and optimism about, you know, silver linings or transformations, societal transformations that are maybe good. So Allison, you just made a big societal answer. How does it make you feel though? How are you feeling now? I'm feeling mostly tired and just ready for a a different version of this. Like I want to go back to work. I want to not worry about which group is vaccine hesitant this week. You know, I don't want to worry about like, will my kids have a fulfilling summer or at least I want to worry about things other than, you know, can they travel and can they do the things they want to do? And I also really want, I have aspirations. I want like, I want us to learn new ways. I don't want us to default to going back to some normal pre-pandemic, pre-racial reckoning. Like I, I'm hoping this is gonna help us forge some new paths to, to different ways of being and different ways of being together. You can't see me, but I am vehemently shaking my head in agreement with everything you've said. <laughs> I'm glad. Exhausting. So one final thing, I would love people to know about Dear Pandemic. Can you just give us a little um, 101 on what Dear Pandemic is and what you all have been up to? I sure can. So Dear Pandemic, which is at dearpandemic.org for our website. And we're also Dear Pandemic on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Carita Pandemia on Facebook. Also, we have a Spanish language channel. We are a female scientist driven COVID information campaign. Our tagline is stay safe, stay sane. And we were started last year in March of 2020. And we've basically post twice a day on something that you need to know or that will be helpful. So everything from vaccine news, therapeutics news, some of the epidemiology and demography to a lot of lifestyle guidance and mental health um, guidance. So, you know, how do we, how do we deal with the uncertainty? How do we deal with being a, you know, mediocre parent? Um, We have about 120,000 followers across our different platforms and uh, we seem to have struck a chord. I know there are a lot of similar kind of information campaigns and and resource sites. Um, People are really just appreciative of our kind of no nonsense, science first, fact first, but kind of compassionate and often funny uh, way of navigating the overwhelm. We will make sure to link to your pandemic on the show notes. Dr. Buttenheim, thank you so much for everything you have done, are doing, and continue to do to help educate everyone about this pandemic. We really appreciate it. You're so very welcome. It's been quite a journey. Hello, Marion. Hello, Angela. How's it going? It's amazing. I was just listening to this 
phenomenal interview that you did with Dr. Allison Buttenheim. How great is she? I am such a huge fan of hers, you know, able to really pare down what people need to know in a way that they can actually hear it and consume it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. She has such a phenomenal way of bringing things down to a level that it makes it really interesting to listen to. I could listen to her talk about just about anything. And I think that that's so important when we're talking about all the things that are going on with COVID, especially now, because we're all so over it. It's been such a long time that we've been dealing with this. Right. Wouldn't it be nice to have her on the show and talk to her about something other than COVID? Yes, it would be. (laughs) (laughs) It's a podcast squad goals right there. Exactly. But, but she brought up a lot of really great points. And I think that I was really, it it was really interesting to listen to her talk about, you know, what do we think about normal and getting back to normal and how it's, we're never going to get back to normal. It's going to be a new normal. There's not going to be a finite end to this, that it's going to bleed into life from moving forward. And I think that, I don't know, that gives me hope because I feel like when you're waiting for it to end and you're waiting for normal to start again, you can't, you can't really move forward. Whereas, you know, with, with that idea, I'm kind of like, oh, well we can, this is normal and this is life and we can just go from here. Yes. But she also was able to talk about what that's going to look like because it's not going to be 2019 normal. It's going to be this new normal. And so we need to start wrapping our heads around that. And so I really appreciated her talking about you know, what the summer is going to look like. So summer's coming, Jon Snow, like we need to be prepared for <laughs> what that's going to look like with kids going to camps and people who have been putting off travel and staying home for the last year and however many months now, really heading out and traveling and flying and driving and going to places and what that's going to look like and how we're going to be able to do that safely. Right. Right. And I, I found all of her information about the ongoing vaccine effort also really, really helpful too. So, you know, that's another thing that we, people need to understand that it's definitely going to take some time before we're at a point where it can just be all out, you know, not worrying about masks or, you know, recommendations or anything like that. We're, we're all far way off from there, even though we are definitely moving in the right direction. And the other great thing that she pointed out too, was we were able to completely squash the flu this last season because we wore masks. I think that's something moving forward. We need to consider as a, as a society. Yes. I, I've already said, I don't know when I will ever go out into public again without wearing a mask. So I am all in for masking for a really long time. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing, with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast. 
and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.